So spiritual gifts come to those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. As you become aware of your sin and the payment that is required for it and your need of a Savior in order to be reconciled to God, you hear of the cross of Jesus Christ and everything that he did how he took your sin, how he stood in your place, how he bore the wrath of God on your behalf. And then you learn that all who call upon the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved and receive the forgiveness of sins. And so you turn to Christ and you trust in the work that he accomplished on the cross on your behalf. And the beautiful thing is as you place your trust in Jesus Christ, God pours out his spirit upon you showering you with his love, giving you assurance that you are saved and reconciled to him. And his spirit changes your heart. It gives you a love for God and a love for others that you didn't have before. It helps you to know and obey the commands of Jesus. And it also gives to you spiritual gifts in order to use for the building up of the rest of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing that our Lord has done. Spiritual gifts might be defined as a unique, special ability or gifting given by God to be used for building up the church. To put it in simple forms, they are the Spirit of God moving through the people of God to build up the church of God. And over these past four weeks, We've covered spiritual gifts that, for lack of a better word, might be called more charismatic gifts. They are the gifts that we see in the first part of 1 Corinthians 12, like prophecy, tongues, healing, this could go on. Gifts that we often might think of as more miraculous or supernatural in nature. Over the next two weeks, what we're going to do is focus in on the gifts that might be called less charismatic, again, for lack of a better word. These are the gifts found towards the end of 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, and in Ephesians 4. And our hope is to show ultimately that these gifts are no less miraculous or supernatural than those listed at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12. The Spirit of God is moving in all of the gifts. And we want us as a church to see that these are extremely vital to understand and valuable for us to desire as well. So what we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're going to split each week into two overarching categories that it seems Peter lays out in 1 Peter 4.11. And I'm going to cover that shortly. But before we dig into 1 Peter 4.11 and see those categories and the gifts we're talking about today, I want to show us why spiritual gifts are so important and why should we give equal weight and attention to all the spiritual gifts. And I want to have us consider two passages for this, starting with 1 Peter 4.10, where we see that they are important because spiritual gifts distribute God's grace. So look in 1 Peter 4.10 with me and focus in first on the final proposition that Peter makes. He writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now we know Peter is speaking about spiritual gifts here when he uses the word gift, because he uses the same Greek word that Paul uses throughout 1 Corinthians 12. It's also a Greek word that's used in connection to the term spiritual in Romans 1.11, where Paul says he wants to impart a spiritual gift to the believers in Rome. And if you also notice in verse 10, we see the ideas of someone receiving a gift and using it for the sake of others, which is exactly how Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. So Peter here envisions spiritual gifts received by each person, and notice this, they are to be used as steward, as good stewards of God's varied grace. I think the idea of a steward is not necessarily something we think about often in our day and time. What is a steward? Well, after telling the parable of the master coming home from the wedding feast to find the wise servants awake and waiting, Jesus says this in Luke 12, 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager or steward whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. So the idea of a steward is someone whom the master of the house has entrusted with the management of the affairs of the family. The steward would often keep the receipts and the expenses for the household. And the steward would also be responsible for giving out the proper portion to all of the rest of the servants and even the children not yet of age. And Peter says... We are stewards in God's household. And notice what we steward. He says we are stewards of God's varied grace. Now we know this to be true. God gives grace in abundance to his household, to the body of Jesus Christ. And I think we see that he gives grace in two ways here. First is the grace he gives in giving us the gifts in the first place. The gifts that come to us are a grace from God. But I also think that what's meant here is that there is grace that is given to us to be distributed through the use of our gifts. We are stewards of that grace to distribute it among the church. So beloved, do you see how important spiritual gifts are? They are the means by which God has designed for his grace to be shown to others. So we first see that spiritual gifts are vital for the church because they distribute the grace of God within the church. Now, the second reason spiritual gifts are important is found in 1 Peter 10 as well, where we see that each is given a spiritual gift to use. Don't let this pass you by. Notice the intentional language of verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You see, the household of God is not just given a few stewards to minister the grace of God. Each one of us is a steward of the grace of God. It's not that the elders and the deacons are stewards and everyone else just receives. Church, each one of you has been given a gift in order to serve those around you and distribute the grace of God to them. 
I think in some ways this may be a new or radical idea for many of you in this room. And if it's not a radical idea, I think it might be what you need to wake you up from the slumber you have been living in. Just look at what Peter is telling you in this verse. You, each one of you, has been given a spiritual gift that is meant to be used to serve others around you in order that the grace of God would be distributed through the church here in Abu Dhabi. And hear me on this. If you stay in your slumber and you don't exercise that gift, then the grace that was intended for somebody may not come to them because you did not use your gift. It's an incredible responsibility and privilege to be used by God in this way. You see, church, church is not a spectator sport where we just all come and receive and receive and receive. The beautiful thing is we do receive. God gives us his presence and joy in him as we worship. We receive grace from other people. But the church is a living body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 4 tells us that it's when each part is working properly that the church is built up in love. So spiritual gifts are vital because they are given to each one of us to use. There's one more reason why it's important to fully understand spiritual gifts. And this is found in Romans 12, 4 through 6, which shows us that spiritual gifts are varied with different functions. I just pay attention to the flow of thought by Paul in verses 4 through 6 of Romans 12. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts, spiritual gifts, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We move out of Peter's analogy of a household and stewards of God's grace to that of Paul's, which is often used of a body. And he says this, he says, look at your body. Your eyes don't have the same function as your feet, do they? Your fingers don't have the same function as your knees. Yet each is part of one body. And in the same way, though there are many inside of the church, we have different functions based on the different gifts that God has given to us by his grace. I just want to hone in on this analogy real quick for you. Just think about what would happen if you were only a couple of body parts. What if you were feet with a neck and a head, maybe some eyes and some ears? And that's it. Now, besides looking extremely strange, what kinds of things would never happen? You would never see a beautiful sunset. You would never smell the aroma of a delicious meal. You would never be able to tell if something was too hot or cold to the touch. 
So you see, as different body parts serve necessary functions for a body, so do each of you. Each of you, with the gifts God has given to you, serve a specific and necessary function within the body of Christ here in Abu Dhabi. Paul is calling us, Peter is calling us to use those gifts in order to function properly inside of the church. So do you see why it's so important to understand and think about spiritual gifts? That's why we're spending these six weeks on spiritual gifts. And that's why we're taking time specifically to look at some of the gifts that maybe a few of us in here haven't ever thought about before. And so let's move into our focus for this morning. Start with me again in 1 Peter 4.11, where we see Peter give two categories of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 10, and then pay attention to the first half of verse 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now we know he's not speaking about just one speaking gift because there are many different types of gift that involve the act of speaking. Tongues could be one, the utterance of knowledge or word, prophecy, teaching. And we also know he doesn't mean just one gift of service, even though there is a gift to find his service, because there are many that involve acts of service. Mercy, giving, helping. So what Peter appears to be doing is viewing all the spiritual gifts in two categories. And we might call them gifts of word, and gifts of deed. So in order to help us examine what we may call less charismatic gifts, I'm going to take the rest of this sermon to cover gifts of word that we see in the scriptures. And then next week, Aaron will cover gifts of deed. Let me just say we should be careful not to separate these gifts too much into categories because often there's a lot of overlap between them and those who speak are serving and those who serving are often doing some type of speaking. But I think these categories do serve a purpose to help us discuss and understand how we might use the gifts that God has given us. So what are spiritual gifts of word? What are word-oriented spiritual gifts? Turn back to Romans 12, 6 through 8. And notice what Paul writes. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace of God, grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I'm not going to be covering prophecy because we've spent time on that already in this series. So what I'm going to do is cover the three others listed here that I think we could define as gifts of word or word-oriented spiritual gifts. You see them in verse 7, where we see the gift of teaching. 
And then in verse 8, we see the gifts of exhortation and leading. So first, consider with me the gift of teaching. Now you'll notice right away that this gift is distinguished from the gifts of prophecy and exhortation. Now while both prophecy and exhortation can be used while teaching, the gift of teaching is something different in Paul's mind. So what is this gift? The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones defines this as the gift of imparting or transmitting truth to establish believers in the faith. In his commentary on Romans, Tom Schreiner points out that teaching depends on an explanation of tradition that is already written. Whether that tradition was the Old Testament scriptures, the words and works of Jesus, or catechetical material. If we look at the New Testament, we see throughout the New Testament that the gift of teaching focuses in on Christ and his words and that which is given through the apostles. Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.9 that the elders are to give instruction in sound doctrine. And the word sound doctrine is the same as the word teaching we see in Romans verse 7. And he says they're to do this while holding firmly to the trustworthy word as taught by the apostles. So it would appear the gift of teaching involves imparting to others that which has been taught to the person using the gift. We also see in Paul's letters to Timothy that this gift entails thinking over what has been taught in order to gain understanding. And because this is a spiritual gift, we shouldn't view it as just the ability to teach anything, but as the ability to focus on teaching sound doctrine and the truth of the word and the ways of God. So I would define this gift in this way, as a unique, special ability to think over and understand scripture in order to impart that knowledge and understanding to others for their growth in the faith. And we're going to consider how to use this gift in a moment, but for now I just want to examine each gift. So consider next with me the gift of exhortation that we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Again, it's clearly distinguished from prophecy and teaching. And the word for exhortation literally means to call to one side. And it involves calling someone to an appropriate action. Again, I think Schreiner sums it up well when comparing it to teaching, where he says this. He says, teaching concentrates more on the content of the tradition, while exhortation summons others to actions and stirs them from lethargy. It would appear exhortation can involve encouragement or warning. It can be an appeal or it could be in the form of a rebuke. I think we often see this gift exercised in worship leading and in preaching. So the gift of exhortation then would be a unique, special ability to take what has been taught and stir within others an appropriate action in response. Now, it's probably important to distinguish between a prophetic word that is an exhortation and the gift of exhortation. And here's how I would distinguish between the two. A word of prophecy is a revelation that comes to you, words from the Lord that is meant for someone else or for a group of people. 
So if it comes via revelation from God to give in that moment, that would be a prophetic word of exhortation. Whereas the gift of exhortation would be something you're thinking about, planning, discussing within yourself to give to someone else. That's how I would distinguish between the two gifts. But keep reading and studying on your own. So finally, let's consider the gift of leading that we see here in verse 8 of Romans 12. And I put this under gifts of word because it usually involves listening to and following the person's leading. And most often that would involve some kind of verbal direction. But again, the categories aren't what's important. What's important is that we use them. So what is the gift of leading? I think in some ways we could probably define this one the easiest secularly, but I think we need to look at the scriptures and see what it has to say. Well, the word for leads here is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 3 for the qualifications of elders and deacons who manage their households well. It's also used later in the same letter of elders who rule well. In 1 Thessalonians 5:12, Paul writes this. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you, there's the word, in the Lord, and admonish you. So those with the gift of leading labor to guide and direct others. They govern and they rule and they manage and they admonish the idol when necessary. Now let me just say that I don't think this necessarily has to be the elders of a church because there are many ways to lead within the church that doesn't involve full oversight over the church. So here's how I would define this gift. As a unique, special ability to lead others, guiding them on mission, keeping them moving forward, and admonishing when necessary. So those are the three gifts we see here in Romans 12. But before we move on, most scholars point out that neither list here in Romans 12 or in 1 Corinthians 12 appear to be exhaustive lists for Paul of spiritual gifts. And there likely are more gifts of word that are not listed in either passage that we see being exercised throughout the scriptures. A couple of pastors who have studied and written a lot on spiritual gifts would suggest there may be a specific gift of warning, which would be a unique ability to warn others of the folly of their ways and bring them back into the fold. In Ephesians 4.11, we see that evangelists are given to the church, and they would have the gift of evangelism, which would in include the gift to accurately and powerfully share the gospel to others. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes a very, very compelling case for there to be a gift of public prayer. He shares a story of a time when he was completely exhausted before going into the pulpit to preach at a church he was visiting. He describes how he was sitting there, unsure that he even had the energy to get up and go into the pulpit. But right before he was about to go up, a man in the church stood up to give the prayer before the sermon. And he describes how within a few moments, he was completely refreshed and revised and ready to go preach. After the service, he went up to the pastor of that church and he asked them about this man 
And the pastor shared a story of how they had a recent revival in the church. And what most people walked away talking about, being encouraged by, was this man's public prayers. So there could be a specific gift of praying publicly that is a unique, special ability given to someone to pray in a manner that others' faith is strengthened when they hear it. Perhaps we could say the same of public scripture reading, where the scripture is read in such a way that the sentiment is conveyed and we understand the text without it being explained. And I mention all of these because I want to open your eyes to the ways in which God may have designed to use you through the spiritual gifts that he's given to you. You see, as I've been studying and thinking, I think God wants us to take the blinders off and look wide and see all the many ways that he wants to use us to strengthen the church here at Grace. There is so much more that we can do. And so I encourage you to be thinking about what gift God has given you. Now, as we think about these gifts, I think there are a few important questions that we need to answer and related to them. The first question that might be on all of your minds is, how do we know if we have gifts of word? It would appear most of these gifts would be what we might call permanent or residential gifts. And what this means is that the Lord grants to you these gifts at some moment in time, and then you function within the body, exercising them and over time growing in your use of them. But how do we know if one has been given to us? Let me just say, I don't think we discover our spiritual gifts by taking some kind of test and checking a box and being told what they are. As well intended as those tests are, it doesn't seem like that's how the Lord works. The most helpful thing I ever heard about discovering spiritual gifts and has proven to be true in my life is from John Piper, who is a pastor in the U.S. And listen to what he says. He says, don't worry about whether you can point to prophecy or teaching or wisdom or knowledge or healing or miracles or mercy or administration, etc., and say, that's mine. The way to think is this. The reason we have spiritual gifts is so that we can strengthen other people's faith. Here is someone whose faith is in jeopardy. How can I help him? And then you do or say what seems most helpful. And if that person is helped, then you may have discovered one of your gifts. You see how that works? I think what he's suggesting is absolutely right. The place that we start at is we look around and we say, where is a need that needs to be filled? And then we walk forward and we trust God to meet that need through us. And as we do so, whatever we are led to do, whether in word or deed, if it's fruitful, we might have discovered one of our spiritual gifts. So let me encourage you, don't just sit around and wait to know what your spiritual gift is. I actually think in many ways you'll never figure it out that way. Instead, walk forward in love and in service of those around you, seeking to trust God 
to reveal the gifts you have to you or to give you the gifts that you need for that very moment. And here's the beautiful thing, church. He will. He will always answer that heart and he will use you. Let me give you a couple of other helpful things that I think you can do to discover your spiritual gifts. I think you can ask others what they see in you. I think the church of Christ is often a good way to discover our spiritual gifts. What do they see you being effective in? I think you can also look at the joy you get when you do certain types of things. Because God wants to give you joy in the ways that he's using you. But the main encouragement is to walk forward in service and in love of others and let God move through you. So this brings out then an important question in response to this. How are gifts of word used? Now we first see in Romans 12, 7 through 8, that gifts of word are used in the right scenarios inside of the church and in the right manner with which we use them. Teaching is used as one teaches. Exhortation as one exhorts. Leading with zeal, Paul says. So you could use these gifts in a small group Bible study environment. You could use these in a men and women's Bible studies environment. You could use these in counseling. You could bring a gift of exhortation to the elders on a Saturday morning and share it with us to be shared with the church. But it doesn't also always have to entail a formal atmosphere. Church, you can use these gifts in a one-on-one discipleship relationship. You can use these within your home. You can be used with these as you get coffee with someone or you meet a neighbor. Now, turn back to 1 Peter 4.11 and consider with me what Peter writes about how these things are used. I think this is so important for us to see. 1 Peter 4.11, Peter says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we see here that whoever speaks or whoever uses a gift of word should do so as one who speaks oracles of God. I think we have to be careful because we can get stuck on that phrase, oracles of God, and we can miss what Peter is saying. Throughout the New Testament, this phrase is used simply to refer to the word of God handed down to others. But what I want to encourage you to do is focus not on that phrase necessarily and what it means, but focus on how it is being used in the sentence in which Peter uses it. He says these gifts are used as one or in the same manner as one who speaks oracles of God. So as Moses received the oracles of God and he spoke them forward to the people of Israel, that's the manner in which you are to use a gift of word. We also see it's a parallel with how one uses the gift of deed as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So church, the idea is that we use gifts of word in dependence on God. 
We use them in respect and reverence to God's word and in reliance on God's word as the main content of what we are delivering. You see, I think our goal is to communicate God's truth to others in our teaching, exhortation, leading, warning, prayer. And so if you are preparing to teach somebody, what you do is you hymn in around yourself the word of God. And then as you're teaching, you're seeking to stay as close to the text as possible so that God's very word is what's being delivered to the people you're teaching. If you're sharing an exhortation, you're thinking through what scripture aids that exhortation or where that exhortation comes from, from the word of God in order to strengthen people with the very words of God. Maybe if you're praying publicly, you're thinking of how you can pray the words of scripture to encourage people. You see how these gifts then work? Now this brings me to one final question, and this is what we will end with. I think it's a really important one to consider as well. How do we desire these kinds of gifts? Now we've seen that these gifts are often permanent gifts. So our main focus should be on using the gifts that we have received. But I don't see anything in Romans 12 or 1 Peter 4 that suggests any of these gifts can't be given later in life or they can't be given as an occasional gift when you need it in a moment. And as we've mentioned time and time again in this series, the command of Scripture that we are wanting to adhere to is 1 Corinthians 14.1, which says, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual, the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And notice, church, that we earnestly desire all the gifts. This means the gifts we've talked about this morning, along with those that we've seen over the past four weeks, and those that we're going to discover next week. So God could give you a gift of exhortation or teaching for a moment that's needed. Or he could give you one of these as a permanent gifting later in life to be used in a new way within the church. So let me encourage you, earnestly desire these gifts. Now, when it comes to the gift of teaching, we should heed the warning of James in James 3.1, where he writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So he's warning and he's saying not many should become teachers because there's a greater strictness in judgment that's coming to those. There's a greater responsibility to that. But let me suggest that I don't think this warning should keep us from desiring the gift as much as it it should help us to think rightly about what our desire is actually for. And I also think it opens the door for a helpful nuance in our desire of spiritual gifts. You see, we know and we believe that God is sovereign over the giving of gifts. And if you don't listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 11, which tells us that the spirit apportions gifts, is the context, to each one individually as he wills. So God is completely sovereign in distributing these gifts. Spiritual gifts are not something we can be taught to do. 
There's something that the Spirit gives to us and moves through us. And he's sovereign over those gifts. I also hope we believe that God knows exactly what gifts his people need and when he needs them in order for his people to flourish. So here's how I think we should approach desiring spiritual gifts. As we go to God humbly, with open hands, asking for him to give us the gifts that he knows his people need. You see, sometimes I think what happens is we go to God and we make a plea to him for a spiritual gift, saying something like this, God, will you give me the gift of prophecy? Because I know that these people just need to hear from you. They need to know you're present. It's a wonderful prayer to make. And then we wait for the prophetic word. And we wait and we keep praying for it. But church, maybe the grace God intended for that person is designed to come to you through a gift of exhortation that God has given you. Or warning. Or maybe God wants to give you a gift of teaching for them. And if we spend our time waiting just for one gift and only asking for one gift, because we think that's what people need, we may fail to walk forward in the gift that God intended for us to distribute grace to others. I don't hear me wrong. We should desire and pray for prophecy, and we do here. But we should desire and pray for all the gifts. So this is how this has influenced my prayers. When I see somebody in need now, I go to God and I pray for each and every spiritual gift. And then I ask God for clarity of which gifts should be used for that person. Is it something he's already given to me? Is it something that he wants to give to me? I think that's how it should work with us. There's an analogy that's been running through my mind these past few weeks that I want to end with. And this may just be because I'm obsessed with cooking shows. But God is like a world-renowned chef that never serves a set menu, but has a special meal prepared for each person that walks into his restaurant. And we are the waiters who distribute that meal. Now, sometimes we go to God and we say, oh God, you know that steak you gave me last night? It was so juicy. It was so good. Oh, and that rhubarb pie. Now, I've never had a rhubarb, but um, I hear some people like it. It's, it's so good. Chef, this is what these people need to have and be served in order to see how good of a chef you really are. But what we forget, church, is that he knows their taste buds. He knows their spice tolerance. He knows the flavors that they love. He knows their health needs. And he has the perfect meal prepared just for them to be served through one of you to distribute his grace to them. So this is my appeal to you this morning. Earnestly desire all the spiritual gifts. And I urge you to start using the gifts that God has given you. And if you don't know what they are yet, that's okay. 
Start serving, start loving, start moving forward in those and ask God to give them to you and he will. Church, don't wait in your slumber any longer. Don't sit and come and receive and receive week after week. Start going out and using your gifts and distributing the grace of God. And let's watch how God strengthens grace, church. Let's watch how he reaches the lost through us. Let's watch how he is glorified through the use of each and every one of our spiritual gifts. And let's watch as we receive great joy in using them as others receive good from God, and as God is glorified in and through all of it. So please stand with me as I pray this over us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, that you have given your spirit that gives us your love and assurance of salvation, that gives us gifts to be used by you for the sake of your glory. And God, we ask that you would take this word and you would seal it in our hearts. We ask that you would show us the gifts that you've given to us to be used and that you would give us the strength to use them. God, we ask that you would grow Grace Church in the use of spiritual gifts, that you would give us all the gifts, that we would see them flourishing here at Grace Church for your glory, and that the name of Christ would be spread. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.